Welcome to the Your Money Financial Podcast. I'm Peter Sashecki from Everything Financial, and this is episode four. Today, we're going to talk with our guest, Vitri Trong. He's our mortgage expert at Everything Financial, and he's going to enlighten us on the world of mortgages, banks, home equity, line of credits, and he's going to go through the whole list. Thanks, everyone, for the excellent feedback from our last three podcast episodes. Uh, those have been really helpful. We'll answer your questions, and we look forward to more feedback in the future. You can subscribe to the Everything Financial podcast on the Everything Financial YouTube channel or go to everythingfinancial.com and you can download it. We're going to focus on mortgages here in episode four, typically the biggest financial decision you'll make in your life. So many folks don't know anything about mortgages. They don't know why they have it. They don't know the different types. So Vitri Trong's going to help us out, answer questions, teach you how to apply for a mortgage for the first time, but give you a lot of great insight into refinancing your mortgage. In this climate today with these low interest rates, uh, there's a lot of talk about refinancing. Should I get a lower rate? And, and Vitri is going to really help us out with that. So without any further ado, Vitri, let's get started. Uh, let's talk about mortgages. Awesome. Let's do that. So first question, Vitri, how can I lower the cost of borrowing? One you probably get all the time. Yeah, well, so spoiler alert is not bi-weekly payments or, you know, taking a fixed versus a variable rate or anything like that. The only thing that lowers the cost of borrowing is just shorten your years. Like how, if you pay off your mortgage faster, you'll have a lower cost of borrowing. Okay, so the only way to do that is to make extra principal repayments. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's it. The only way. So when you make extra principal prepayments, a lot of people think they just should just pay their mortgage early and throw that extra cash flow directly into their mortgage. But by far the fastest way is actually a bit counterintuitive. Take that extra payment instead and throw it into your TFSA. So the idea there is to grow that prepayment pie large enough so that one day it can offset your mortgage. Vitri, a question on that for you. When you're applying extra money to your mortgage, and if you're in a high income tax bracket, so the TFSA is a great idea, tax-free growth, of course, to put against your mortgage. But if you're in a high income bracket, what about applying extra money to an RSP and then developing a plan to take those tax refunds and pay that down as well on your mortgage? Oh, absolutely. That's that's a great idea. And that's I think that's part of what we do. And you know, any mortgage broker who works with a financial advisor could be able to do that for you as well. The key is that to get both sides working together towards a common goal. So that's perfect information because everyone so often just thinks bi-weekly, weekly, you know, accelerated, etc. But what I'm hearing from you is those really aren't the fastest ways. No, like the biggest myth is biweekly payments. If you actually compared what a monthly payment is with a biweekly payment, they're exactly the same in the year. There's no difference. The only other thing is maybe an accelerated biweekly. And in that case, you're making essentially one extra monthly payment in a year. So, but isn't it true if you, if versus the accelerated biweekly, and this coming from a financial planner's point of view, obviously, not a mortgage broker's point of view. But if you actually took that extra payment and paid it yourself, it goes all against principal, whereas the bank 
is doing interest and principal. So don't you actually shorten that mortgage just a little bit more if you're able to be a little diligent and take that payment out yourself and apply it directly to the principal. Absolutely. Like that and and I'm glad you touched on that because you should really never prepay a mortgage uh, directly monthly anyways. You should actually save that up throughout the year. And at the end of the year, have a look at what your finances look like. Do you need that money? Because once you make a prepayment, it's gone. Right? So if something happens to your car, your hot water, or with the, the rain now, you need a new roof, uh, you, that money is gone. So put that aside first and then see what the end of the year looks like. So with that, I'm going to move on to another topic, Vitri, because it's kind of a good segue, which leads you into my one of favorite things about HELOCs. But for the people watching the Your Money Personal Financial Podcast, send your questions, send your comments. We welcome all, welcome them all to yourmoneyateverythingfinancial.com. We'll be happy to answer questions, take suggestions on things you want to see on further episodes. So Vitri, why don't brokers advise people to get HELOCs, home equity line of credits? <laughs> well, brokers and banks, right? Uh, and this is, you know, this is where I, I like to say that- Not you, of course, Petrie. You're the broker who advises it, I know, but the other ones. Yeah, well, you know, in my early years, I was a little guilty as well. Uh, but for a broker, once you put a client in a HELOC, you really never see them again, right? Because a HELOC, home equity line of credit, means your mortgage is a- uh, now a giant line of credit. So every dollar that you pay in principal, you can reborrow at any time. You've essentially become your own bank. So you don't need to come back to the broker again. So if you had other expenses, uh, credit cards, car, and that you want to consolidate that into your mortgage, you, you would normally just go remortgage, refinance, tack all that into your mortgage, and broker would make another commission. But with the HELOC, you can just write a check. But why do the banks, especially, because I hear this obviously when we're doing our Omni formula all the time, and I get this question, the banks will tell people HELOCs are dangerous. HELOCs are something you don't want. Oh my gosh, you're, you're never going to pay off your house. But that's not true, is it? No, no, that's the, the furthest thing from the truth. There is one caveat. If you're not responsible with your money, then yeah, maybe HELOC's not the right thing for you and you should really work with a financial advisor to build up a contingency fund. But for everyone else, the banks don't like to sell the HELOCs for one reason, that's money. Uh, this is the great Canadian banking conspiracy that I like to call it. If as a bank, you lock a client into a five-year fixed rate mortgage and then life happens to them. Uh, so, you know, you need your expenses. Uh, you sorry, you have some expenses like, like a new car, uh, renovations on the house, your mortgage is fixed. It's locked in. You, you have no access to your equity. So what did the bank say? Well, Mr. Client, Mrs. Client, we have this great product it's called a personal line of credit. It's prime plus five. So, you know, never mind that it's 8%. Uh, you know, it's a great solution for you to do your renovations. Or they'll say, here's a credit card. It's got $20,000 limit on it. Never mind that it's 29.9% interest. This is another great way to finance uh, those expenses that you didn't anticipate. So I, I call that the great uh, Canadian banking conspiracy. Isn't it well, getting into the conspiracy theory of a topic I love sometimes, but it's because it's interesting. But isn't it true that when the home equity line of credits really got introduced in Canada back in the late 90s by Manual Life Bank was the first one we know and then everyone followed it. But it came from Australia because in Australia, and I have 
clients in Australia. In Australia, if you're a good risk, so a non-CMHC, Canadian mortgage housing, kind of an insured mortgage, you're a good risk client, you're putting down 20, 25%, whatever the case may be. But in Australia, the good risk clients get HELOCs. The bad risk clients get compound interest. Absolutely. That, that is a higher percent true in, in Australia. We're, you know, we call Aussies backwards, but I think we're a little bit backwards here with, with our banking system. Hmm. Interesting stuff about HELOCs. I mean, I know people don't like them, but the big difference, one of the big differences, of course, the payment. I mean, how a mortgage broker, a bank gets paid. So, so when we talk about all mortgages, and I talk about this all the time, commission, unfortunately, we don't see a lot of full disclosure. So how does a mortgage broker get paid versus how the bank gets paid? On a HELOC? Or on a mortgage in general. Okay. Yeah. So a mortgage broker gets paid most of the time directly from the lender. So the lender pays the broker because the broker you know, look, you know, does a lot of the bank's work for them, you know, screening the client, making sure they're good, doing a lot of the background research and all, and all that sort of stuff. So most of the time, the broker gets paid by the lender. In certain cases, like if your situation is is not really good and a typical A lender won't look at you, then possibly the client would pay a fee. And we see this more often though in like commercial mortgages or private mortgages. So when we compare rates, and and I talk about this on our shows, I talk about this with clients all the time, Mortgage brokers or more really bank, the commission salespeople are selling rates. Oh, you've got to buy the 2% rate. Why would you ever want to buy, a, like, like just recently, buy a mortgage or get your mortgage at 2.5%? Oh, why would you want that HELOC rate at 2.95%? But the banks aren't being honest, are they? Because the way the interest is calculated, there is a difference, isn't there, in how you calculate home equity line of credit, which is simple interest and a traditional mortgage, which is compound interest. Right. Yeah. So, so a home equity line of credit is simple interest. And for, for folks out there, what that means is you take the annual rate of interest, let's say it's 3%, you divide that by 365 days, and then that little bit of interest is charged each day. So it does, it's not interest upon interest, where in a mortgage, it does compound. So then you get the interest upon interest. And here's another thing for you. Uh, most banks will sell you a 25-year mortgage because those are designed to keep you in debt for 25 years. It'll make you believe that's a speed limit. Whereas a HELOC with simple interest, you, you're in control. There is no speed limit. You can pay it down as fast as you can. We talked earlier about the cost of borrowing. With a HELOC, you can, you can throw as much money as you want in, into it and, and really accelerate that repayment. Now, I know we've crunched these numbers before and we talked earlier in the podcast here about the danger being if you're just not disciplined, but with the availability now of having say 65% of your money in a HELOC and the other 15%, assuming you borrow to the 80% level in a compound interest, doesn't that kind of eliminate the lack of discipline because you can pay the interest only on the HELOC portion and throw basically every dime you have at paying down that compound interest portion just so you have some discipline 
And then when that's paid off, oh, let's take another portion and put it in compound interest so we can force ourselves to pay it down quicker. Isn't that a way faster way to pay your house down than the traditional way? Oh, absolutely. And what you've talked about there is a customized mortgage solution. And that's something that not a lot of brokers are trained to do. No bankers are trained to do that. Uh, But absolutely, that does take care of both things, like the discipline, because you do have your principal and interest repayment with a fixed portion, and the freedom, the flexibility from the HELOC in case life does happen, you have the ability to tackle those challenges head on. And that's why the shameless plug at Everything Financial, we hired Vitri as a financial advisor because he can do your financial plan and make sure your mortgage fits properly into it. Um, So Vitri, can you deduct, I mean, I know the answer, but our watchers don't necessarily know the answer. Can you deduct the cost of your mortgage interest in Canada like Americans do in the States? No, unfortunately, our rules are such where that is not possible. There are some financial strategies, and and we do them here, that eventually can turn that into a tax deduction. And when that works, it works really well. So even though you said you can't, you actually can, can't you? As long as you follow the CRA guidelines. Yeah, I don't think we want to get into those rules here on on this podcast because they're they're quite in depth. (laughs) I know we do it all the time for clients, but there is a set set of rules. And and the truth of the matter is you've been able to do it since the 90s. It's not new news. No, for sure. The government doesn't want to tell you how to do new deductions because, um, you know, you'll find a way to keep more tax in your money. So here's a question for you. Right now, we hear about this all the time. Expectations for the housing market in Metro Vancouver and Victoria with interest rates so low are insane right now. Are they expected to stay high? And is this a good time to get into the market? Well, yeah. So two parts there. I think rates definitely are going to stay low for the next three years, I would say. Three to four, maybe five. But I think house prices are going to go up. I think we're in a bit of a, a... blip right now where they might be a little soft, but over the long term, I believe house prices will go up based purely on supply and demand. You know, with CERB, uh, sorry, with, with COVID, the government spent a lot of money to make sure the economy doesn't collapse. And at some point, they're going to have to pay that back. And the, the best way to do that, and what we've been hearing out there, is they're going to open the floodgates on immigration. So more and more people are going to be moving here. And, and, you know, they're not going to stay in Saskatchewan, Quebec, where the programs are. They're going to move out here because that's where everyone wants to live. Mm-hmm. So house prices, just because of supply and demand, I think in the next five years, it's we're going to see a continuation of what we've seen in the past. Well, get into the market now while you can. If But again, purchasing a house being your biggest financial item really has to be thought out well so that you don't overspend. Because isn't that a problem sometimes? Just because, and I say this to people all the time, so let's see what your take on this is. Just because the bank approves you for a certain amount of mortgage, doesn't that really mean you maybe shouldn't get that certain amount of mortgage? Getting approved for something and being able to afford it, aren't those two different things? Absolutely. You know, you really do need to sit down with someone who's got your best uh, you know, your future in mind, because your mortgage, your house 
if it's going to be the largest asset you own, needs to fit into your financial plan and your retirement plan. You might be 25 right now buying your first home, but you actually need to see how that fits into retirement. I know retirement is 40 years away, but it all starts early and all needs to fit. And we all we have to see where the cash flow is if it's you know if it's wise to spend all your cash flow doing this. Or what other alternatives? And maybe there's a happy medium there somewhere, but you definitely need some advice around how much to spend. I know a lot of people know this intuitively as well. I hear that you know a lot of people want to get into the market. They've got the fear of missing out, but then they look at what it would cost, and they don't want to be house broke. So, you know, here, you know, shameless plug for ourselves, we'll help you figure out what's the you know, th- that best happy medium uh, between what you should spend. Uh, for your housing and then what else do you need to do to start your retirement plan. So let's talk about a few little acronyms that we hear about all the time to try and help educate the public here. That's kind of what the Your Money Personal Finance podcast is really about is trying to educate people. So empower them with their money so they know the questions to ask. We want to teach them to ask the questions they didn't even know they're supposed to ask. So CMHC, Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, Can you explain kind of what their role is? And I know this because you taught me this. Explain about the alternatives, that they're not the only kid on the block. Yeah. So the Canadian Mortgage Housing Corporation, their mandate is to kind of regulate housing market. Like They want to get people into housing. That's one of their mandates is to increase the number of Canadians with houses. Is the home buyer's plan... Recently, last year, the Liberals upped this to $35,000 for first-time homebuyers. Can you explain how that works and how you have to pay it back? And, and again, could this put too much of an expense on first-time homebuyers? Absolutely. So now it's $35,000 you're allowed to take out of your RSP as part of your down payment, and there's no taxes on that. So there's no withholding tax. When you normally take money out of RSP, there is withholding tax. In this case, with the home buyer's plan, you don't have to pay that. The caveat is you have 15 years to pay that back. So, so you buy it this year, starting next year, you have to start making payments to that. And for a lot of first-time home buyers, that's a challenge because of cash flow. Right? We talked about cash flow earlier. But that could be over two, that could be over two thousand dollars a year you have to put back to your RSP. So if you're depositing $5,000 a year to your RSP, on the first $2,000, you're not even gonna get a tax refund. It's just going back to your mortgage. So again, just because you can qualify to use first-time home buyer's RSP money doesn't always mean you should, correct? Correct. And you also look at the growth that you're missing out on, on when you take that money out of your RSP as well. So there is a happy medium in there somewhere. Yeah, because if your RSP is averaging on an average, just being in a kind of balanced conservative market, averaging 7%, but your mortgage is only costing you two and a half, just pick a rate that's in the middle right now, then obviously it doesn't make sense. Except if I can touch back and, and go back to here, the CMHC, what is the actual cost though? Of, so let's compare that part. If you, if you needed the $35,000 or a portion thereof to make sure you put down 20%, what are you saving by not having CMHC as part of your mortgage or one of the other insurers? 
a number I like to use is between three and a half and four percent is what a CMHC premium normally is, and you'll never get that back. So the CMHC premium is actually a mortgage insurance that you pay to the government who will ensure to the lender that you, the client, will not default. So it doesn't protect you at all. It protects the lender. So is that 3.5% on the entire mortgage? Yeah. And it gets added to your mortgage. So you're paying that off monthly as well. So if you borrowed $300,000 because you didn't put 20% down, say you were at 17%, you're just a little bit shy. You're going to pay roughly a 3.5% penalty. I know it's called insurance, but I'm saying penalty because you never get that money back on the $300,000. So you're so basically you're not borrowing 300, you're borrowing 3095 kind of idea or somewhere around there or 310 at, at that level it's a little bit lower than 3% but yeah still the same principle applies you're borrowing you're borrowing that money it's essentially is like you said it is a penalty it in essence is that wow i mean that's i mean that wouldn't it if you were at that 15 to 17% area say you didn't have the rsps or it just doesn't make sense or you don't really have the TFSA to cash in. So that's really out of the question. Wouldn't the first thing to do be maybe approach a family member and say, Hey, I need an extra three or 4% to get to my 20% and then build that into your financial plan and pay that debt back first. For sure. No, like the bank of mom and dad is the best bank out there. Right. I mean, I've, I've tapped, tapped into that a couple of times in my life as well. So if you can save that, that penalty, absolutely save it. Now, there is some, something to do with rates around that as well. If you have CMHC insurance, and it's not just CMHC. So there's, there's Genworth, there's Canada Guarantee. Those are the alternatives to CMHC. And with those changes back in July, most uh, first-time homebuyers are getting pushed to one of the other two mortgage insurers. But back to what we were talking about. Wow. So kind of segue into the next thing I've thought of that you mentioned and I heard recently is, when you're applying, because we're talking about buyers here, applying for a mortgage on the Your Money Personal Finance podcast, so you might as well have as much information as you can get. So you go out and you buy your new or you lease your new BMW, Mercedes, Porsche, or whatever the case may be, whatever that car is, with a nice $1,000 payment. Oh, and now I'm going to go refinance or I'm going to go buy my first house or whatever the case may be. How much do other loans affect your approval on a mortgage? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. So we see this really often, right? When you go to buy a house, you feel you feel kind of rich. You feel like you've got some money to spend. So why not get a new car as well? Uh, but really, you, you got to look into, you got to work with a professional before you make those steps because for every $100 in payment, you are qualified for $25,000 less in a mortgage. So if you had a $400 payment, that's $100,000 less. If you had a $1,000 payment, that's $250,000 less that you qualify for with the mortgage. So if that's the case and you're going to buy a car, buy the car the week after you close your mortgage, I guess. That would be the way I would take that advice. Because I would, well, I know this from what we do for here at Everything Financial is it seems you can always go get a car loan. 
car people are, I don't know what they do for their underwriting, but they're really eager to lend you money. So Vitri, I just want to thank you for being here with us today uh, on the Everything Financial, Your Money, Personal Finance podcast. If people want to talk to you, have their mortgage reviewed, there's no obligations, completely complimentary. How do they get a hold of you? Everythingfinancial.com. I don't know what's, what's the right answer. On that. That's the right answer. And what's your, just give it out there to people. What's your direct email address so they can get a hold of you directly? If they're not quite ready yet to dive into the Omni formula, do a full financial plan or see what that's all about at everythingfinancial.com, but they're kind of on a time crunch and they go, holy crap, my mortgage matures in three weeks. I better call that guy from Everything Financial. How do they get a hold of you direct? Yeah. So my email is VTT. That's for Vitree Trong at everythingfinancial.com. Would love to hear from you. And people, you can visit everythingfinancial.com. We're also known now as Everything Mortgages. Come to us for all your financial needs. This has been episode four of the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. Remember, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Go to YouTube, rate the podcast, let us know what you think. And we'd love to hear suggestions on things you want to see and hear about in upcoming podcasts, questions about the past podcasts, any suggestions, constructive criticism, we'll take it. We have we put our big boy pants on, we can handle it. But email us for the podcast at your money at everythingfinancial.com. And in our next podcast, we're going to be talking to one of our portfolio managers, Janice Soudon from Connor Clark and Lund. And she's going to be talking about statements because there's a lot of confusion on statements that people get from their banks, get from their mutual fund companies. Janice is going to provide us a lot of clarity on statements. So look for that in the coming weeks. Take care, everyone. And thanks for watching.